0: Book Five, Chapters Thirteen through Twenty-six of the City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider. www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by Saint Augustine of Hippo, Book Five, Chapter Thirteen. Wherefore, when the kingdoms of the East had been illustrious for a long time, it pleased God that there should also arise a Western Empire, which, though later in time, should be more illustrious in extent and greatness. And in order that it might overcome the grievous evils which existed among other nations, he purposely granted it to such men as, for the sake of honour and praise and glory, consulted well for their country, in whose glory they sought their own, and whose safety they did not hesitate to prefer to their own, suppressing the desire of wealth and Many other vices for this one vice, namely the love of praise. For he has the soundest perception who recognizes that even the love of praise is a vice. Nor has this escaped the perception of the poet Horace, who says, You are bloated by ambition? Take advice. Yon book will ease you if you read it thrice. And the same poet in a lyric song hath thus spoken with a desire of repressing the passion for domination rule that ambitious spirit, and thou hast a wider kingdom, than if thou shouldst join to distant Gades, Libya, and thus shouldst hold in service either Carthaginian. Nevertheless, they who restrain baser lusts, not by the power of the Holy Spirit obtained by the faith of piety, or by the love of intelligible beauty, but by desire of human praise, or at all events restrain them better by the love of such praise, are not indeed yet holy, but only less base. Even Tully was not able to conceal this fact. For in the same books which he wrote, De Republica, when speaking concerning the education of a chief of the state, who ought, he says, to be nourished on glory, goes on to say that their ancestors did many wonderful and illustrious things through desire of glory. So far, therefore, from resisting this vice, they even thought that it ought to be excited and kindled up, supposing that that would be beneficial to the republic. But not even in his books on philosophy does Tully dissimulate this poisonous opinion, for he there avows it more clearly than day. For when he is speaking of those studies which are to be pursued with a view to the true good, and not with the vainglorious desire of human praise, he introduces the following universal and general statement. Honor nourishes the arts, and all are stimulated to the prosecution of studies by glory, and those pursuits are always neglected which are generally discredited. CHAPTER Fourteen it is therefore doubtless far better to resist this desire than to yield to it for the purer one is from this defilement the liker is he to god And, though this vice be not thoroughly eradicated from his heart, for it does not cease to tempt even the minds of those who are making good progress in virtue, at any rate let the desire of glory be surpassed by the love of righteousness, so that, if there be seen anywhere lying neglected things which are generally discredited, if they are good, if they are right, even the love of human praise may blush and yield to the love of truth.' For so hostile is this vice to pious faith, if the love of glory be greater in the heart than the fear or love of God, that the Lord said, How can ye believe who look for glory from one another, and do not seek the glory which is from God alone? Also, concerning some who had believed on him, but were afraid to confess him openly, the evangelist says, They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Which did not the holy apostles, who, when they proclaimed the name of Christ in those places where it was not only discredited, and therefore neglected, according as Cicero says, those things are always neglected which are generally discredited, but was even held in the utmost detestation, holding to what they had heard from the good Master, who was also the physician of minds, if any one shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, who is in heaven, and before the angels of God, amidst maledictions, and reproaches, and most grievous persecutions, and cruel punishments were not deterred from the preaching of human salvation by the noise of human indignation. And when, as they did, and spake divine things, and lived divine lives, conquering, as it were, hard hearts, and introducing into them the peace of righteousness, great glory followed them in the church of Christ, they did not rest in that as in the end of their virtue, but referring that glory itself to the glory of God, by whose grace they were what they were, they sought to kindle, also by that same flame, the minds of those for whose good they consulted, to the love of him by whom they could be made to be what they themselves were. For their master had taught them not to seek to be good for the sake of human glory, saying, Take heed that ye do not your righteousness before men to be seen of them, or otherwise ye shall not have a reward from your Father who is in heaven. But again, lest, understanding this wrongly, they should, through fear of pleasing men, be less useful through concealing their goodness, showing for what end they ought to make it known, he says, Let your works shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Not observe that ye may be seen by them, that is, in order that their eyes may be directed upon you, for of yourselves ye are nothing, but that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven, by fixing their regards on whom they may become such as ye are. These the martyrs followed, who surpassed the Scyvelas, and the Curtiuses and the Deciuses, both in true virtue, because in true piety, and also in the greatness of their number.' But since those Romans were in an earthly city, and had before them, as the end of all the offices undertaken in its behalf, its safety, and a kingdom not in heaven but in earth, not in the sphere of eternal life, but in the sphere of demise and succession, where the dead are succeeded by the dying, what else but glory should they love, by which they wished even after death to live in the mouths of their admirers? CHAPTER Fifteen. Now, therefore, with regard to those to whom God did not purpose to give eternal life with his holy angels in his own celestial city, to the society of which that true piety which does not render the service of religion, which the Greeks call Latreia, to any save the true God conducts, if he had also withheld from them the terrestrial glory of that most excellent empire, a reward would not have been rendered to their good arts, that is, their virtues, by which they sought to attain so great glory. For as to those who seem to do some good that they may receive glory from men, the Lord also says, Verily I say unto you, they have received their reward. So also these despised their own private affairs for the sake of the Republic, and for its treasury resisted avarice, consulted for the good of their country with a spirit of freedom, addicted neither to what their laws pronounced to be crime, nor to lust. By all these acts, as by the true way, they pressed forward to honours, power, and glory. They were honoured among almost all nations, they imposed the laws of their empire upon many nations, and at this day, both in literature and history, they are glorious among almost all nations. There is no reason why they should complain against the justice of the supreme and true God. They have received their reward. CHAPTER sixteen. But the reward of the saints is far different, who even here endured reproaches for that city of God which is hateful to the lovers of this world. That city is eternal. There none are born, for none die. There is true and full felicity, not a goddess, but a gift of God. Thence we receive the pledge of faith, whilst on our pilgrimage we sigh for its beauty. There rises not the sun on the good and the evil, but the sun of righteousness protects the good alone. There no great industry shall be expended to enrich the public treasury by suffering privations at home, for there is the common treasury of truth.' and therefore it was not only for the sake of recompensing the citizens of rome that her empire and glory had been so signally extended but also that the citizens of that eternal city during their pilgrimage here might diligently and soberly contemplate these examples and see what a love they owe to the supernal country on account of life eternal if the terrestrial country was so much beloved by its citizens on account of human glory Chapter Seventeen for as far as this life of mortals is concerned which is spent and ended in a few days what does it matter under whose government a dying man lives if they who govern do not force him to impiety and iniquity did the romans at all harm those nations on whom when subjugated they imposed their laws except in as far as that was accomplished with the great slaughter and war now had it been done with consent of the nations it would have been done with greater success but there would have been no glory of conquest for neither did the romans themselves live exempt from those laws which they imposed on others Had this been done without Mars and Bologna, so that there should have been no place for victory, no one conquering, where no one had fought, would not the condition of the Romans and of the other nations have been one and the same, especially if that had been done at once, which afterwards was done most humanely and most acceptably, namely the admission of all to the rights of Roman citizens who belonged to the Roman Empire, and if that had been made the privilege of all which was formerly the privilege of a few, with this one condition, that the humbler class who had no lands of their own should live at the public expense?— an alimentary impost which would have been paid with a much better grace by them into the hands of good administrators of the republic of which they were members by their own hearty consent than it would have been paid with had it to be extorted from them as conquered men For I do not see what it makes for the safety, good morals, and certainly not for the dignity of men, that some have conquered and others have been conquered, except that it yields them that most insane pomp of human glory, in which they have received their reward, who burned with excessive desire of it, and carried on most eager wars. For do not their lands pay tribute? Have they any privilege of learning what the others are not privileged to learn? Are there not many senators in the other countries who do not even know Rome by sight?' Take away outward show, and what are all men, after all but men? But even though the perversity of the age should permit that all the better men should be more highly honoured than others, neither thus should human honour be held at a great price, for it is smoke which has no weight. But let us avail ourselves even in these things of the kindness of God let us consider how great things they despised how great things they endured what lusts they subdued for the sake of human glory who merited that glory as it were in reward for such virtues and let this be useful to us even in suppressing pride so that as that city in which it has been promised us to reign as far surpasses this one as heaven is distant from the earth as eternal life surpasses temporal joy solid glory empty praise or the society of angels the society of mortals or the glory of him who made the sun moon the light of the sun and moon. The citizens of so great a country may not seem to themselves to have done anything very great, if, in order to obtain it, they have done some good works, or endured some evils, when those men for this terrestrial country already obtained, did such great things, suffered such great things.' And especially are all these things to be considered because the remission of sins which collects citizens to the celestial country has something in it to which a shadowy resemblance is found in that asylum of Romulus whither escape from the punishment of all manner of crimes congregated that multitude with which the state was to be founded chapter eighteen what great thing therefore is it for that eternal and celestial city to despise all the charms of this world however pleasant if for the sake of this terrestrial city brutus could even put to death his son a sacrifice which the heavenly city compels no one to make But certainly it is more difficult to put to death one's sons, than to do what is required to be done for the heavenly country, even to distribute to the poor those things which were looked upon as things to be amassed and laid up for one's children, or to let them go, if there arise any temptation which compels us to do so, for the sake of faith and righteousness. For it is not earthly riches which make us or our sons happy, for they must either be lost by us in our lifetime, or be possessed when we are dead, by whom we know not, or perhaps by whom we would not. But it is God who makes us happy, who is the true riches of minds. But of Brutus, even the poet who celebrates his praises, testifies that it was the occasion of unhappiness to him that he slew his son, for he says, And call his own rebellious seed for menaced liberty to bleed, Unhappy father, howsoe'er the deed be judged by after days. But in the following verse he consoles him in his unhappiness, saying, His country's love shall all o'erbear.' There are those two things, namely liberty and the desire of human praise, which compelled the Romans to admirable deeds. If, therefore, for the liberty of dying men, and for the desire of human praise which is sought after by mortals, sons could be put to death by a father, what great thing is it, if, for the true liberty which has made us free from the dominion of sin and death and the devil, not through the desire of human praise, but through the earnest desire of freeing men, not from King Tarquin, but from demons and the prince of the demons, we should, I do not say, put to death our sons, but reckon among our sons Christ's poor ones?' If also another Roman chief, surnamed Torquatus, slew his son, not because he fought against his country, but because, being challenged by an enemy, he through youthful impetuosity fought, though for his country, yet contrary to orders which he his father had given as general, and this he did, notwithstanding that his son was victorious, lest there should be more evil in the example of authority despised than good in the glory of slaying an enemy.' if i say torquatus acted thus wherefore should they boast themselves who for the laws of a celestial country despise all earthly good things which are loved far less than sons if furious camillus who was condemned by those who envied him notwithstanding that he had thrown off from the necks of his countrymen the yoke of their most bitter enemies the Veintis, again delivered his ungrateful country from the Gauls, because he had no other in which he could have better opportunities for living a life of glory, if Camillus did thus, why should he be extolled as having done some great thing, who, having, it may be, suffered in the Church at the hands of carnal enemies most grievous and dishonouring injury, has not betaken himself to heretical enemies, or himself raised some heresy against her, but has rather defended her, as far as he was able, from the most pernicious perversity of heretics, since there is not another Church, I say not in which one can live a life of glory but in which eternal life can be obtained if mucius in order that peace might be made with king porsenna who was pressing the romans with a most grievous war when he did not succeed in slaying porsenna but slew another by mistake for him reached forth his right hand, and laid it on a red-hot altar, saying that many such as he saw him to be had conspired for his destruction, so that Porsena, terrified at his daring, and at the thought of a conspiracy of such as he, without any delay recalled all his warlike purposes, and made peace. If, I say, Mucius did this, who shall speak of his meritorious claims to the kingdom of heaven, if for it he may have given to the flames not one hand, but even his whole body, and that not by his own spontaneous act, but because he was persecuted by another?' if curtius spurring on his steed threw himself all armed into a precipitous gulf obeying the oracles of their gods which had commanded that the romans should throw into that gulf the best thing which they possessed and they could only understand thereby that since they excelled in men and arms the gods had commanded that an armed man should be cast headlong into that destruction if he did this, shall we say that that man has done a great thing for the eternal city, who may have died by a like death, not, however, precipitating himself spontaneously into a gulf, but having suffered this death at the hands of some enemy of his faith, more especially when he has received from his lord, who is also king of his country, a more certain oracle, fear not them who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. If the decii dedicated themselves to death, consecrating themselves in a form of words, as it were, that falling, and pacifying by their blood the wrath of their gods, they might be the means of delivering the Roman army. If they did this, let not the holy martyrs carry themselves proudly, as though they had done some meritorious thing for a share in that country where our eternal life and felicity, if even to the shedding of their blood, loving not only the brethren for whom it was shed, but according as had been commanded them, even their enemies by whom it was being shed, they have vied with one another in faith of love, and love of faith.' if marcus polvilus when engaged in dedicating a temple to jupiter juno and minerva received with such indifference the false intelligence which was brought to him of the death of his son with the intention of so agitating him that he should go away and thus the glory of dedicating the temple should fall to his colleague If he received that intelligence with such indifference, that he even ordered that his son should be cast out unburied, the love of glory having overcome in his heart the grief of bereavement, how shall any one affirm that he had done a great thing for the preaching of the gospel, by which the citizens of the heavenly city are delivered from diverse errors, and gathered together from diverse wanderings, to whom his Lord has said, when anxious about the burial of his father, "'Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead.' regulus in order not to break his oath even with his most cruel enemies returned to them from rome itself because as he is said to have replied to the romans when they wished to retain him he could not have the dignity of an honourable citizen at rome after having been a slave to the africans and the carthaginians put him to death with the utmost tortures because he had spoken against them in the senate if regulus acted thus what tortures are not to be despised for the sake of good faith toward that country to whose beatitude faith itself leads or what will a man have rendered to the lord for all he has bestowed upon him if for the faithfulness he owes to him he shall have suffered such things as regulus suffered at the hands of his most ruthless enemies for the good faith which he owed to them And how shall a Christian dare vaunt himself of his voluntary poverty, which he has chosen, in order that during the pilgrimage of this life he may walk the more disencumbered on the way which leads to the country where the true riches are, even God himself? How, I say, shall he vaunt himself for this, when he hears or reads that Lucius Valerius, who died when he was holding the office of consul, was so poor that his funeral expenses were paid with money collected by the people?' or when he hears that quintius cincinnatus who possessing only four acres of land and cultivating them with his own hands was taken from the plough to be made dictator an office more honourable even than that of consul and that after having won great glory by conquering the enemy he preferred notwithstanding to continue in his poverty Or how shall he boast of having done a great thing, who has not been prevailed upon by the offer of any reward of this world, to renounce his connection with that heavenly and eternal country, when he hears that Fabricius could not be prevailed on to forsake the Roman city by the great gifts offered to him by Pyrrhus, king of the Iperots, who promised him the fourth part of his kingdom, but preferred to abide there in his poverty as a private individual?' For if, when their republic, that is, the interest of the people, the interest of the country, the common interest, was most prosperous and wealthy, they themselves were so poor in their own houses, that one of them, who had already been twice a consul, was expelled from that senate of poor men by the censor, because he was discovered to possess ten pounds weight of silver plate, since, I say, those very men by whose triumphs the public treasury was enriched were so poor, ought not all Christians, who make common property of their riches with a far nobler purpose, even that, according to what is written in the Acts of the Apostles, they may distribute to each one according to his need, and that no one may say that anything is his own, but that all things may be their common possession, ought they not to understand that they should not vaunt themselves, because they do that to obtain the society of angels, when those men did well nigh the same thing to preserve the glory of the Romans?' how could these and whatever like things are found in the roman history have become so widely known and have been proclaimed by so great a fame had not the roman empire extending far and wide been raised to its greatness by magnificent successes Wherefore through that empire so extensive and of so long continuance, so illustrious and glorious also through the virtues of such great men, the reward which they sought was rendered to their earnest aspirations, and also examples are set before us containing necessary admonition, in order that we may be stung with shame, if we shall see that we have not held fast those virtues for the sake of the most glorious city of God, which are, in whatever way, resembled by those virtues which they held fast for the sake of the glory of a terrestrial city, and that too if we shall feel conscious that we have held them fast we may not be lifted up with pride because as the apostle says the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us but so far as regards human and temporal glory the lives of these ancient romans were reckoned sufficiently worthy Therefore also we see, in the light of that truth which, veiled in the Old Testament, is revealed in the New, namely, that it is not in view of terrestrial and temporal benefits, which divine providence grants promiscuously to good and evil, that God is to be worshipped, but in view of eternal life, everlasting gifts, and of the society of the heavenly city itself. In the light of this truth we see that the Jews were most righteously given as a trophy to the glory of the Romans. For we see that these Romans, who rested on earthly glory, and sought to obtain it by virtue, such as they were, conquered those who, in their great depravity, slew and rejected the giver of true glory, and of the eternal city. CHAPTER nineteen. There is assuredly a difference between the desire of human glory and the desire of domination. For though he who has an overweening delight in human glory will be also very prone to aspire earnestly after domination, nevertheless they who desire the true glory even of human praise strive not to displease those who judge well of them. For there are many good moral qualities, of which many are competent judges, although they are not possessed by many, and by those good moral qualities those men press on to glory, honour, and domination, of whom Sallust says, But they press on by the true way. But whosoever, without possessing that desire of glory which makes one fear to displease those who judge his conduct, desires domination and power, very often seeks to obtain what he loves by most open crimes. Therefore he who desires glory presses on to obtain it, either by the true way, or certainly by deceit and artifice, wishing to appear good when he is not therefore to him who possesses virtues it is a great virtue to despise glory, for contempt of it is seen by God, but is not manifest to human judgment. For whatever any one does before the eyes of men in order to show himself to be a despiser of glory, if they suspect that he is doing it in order to get greater praise, that is, greater glory, he has no means of demonstrating to the perceptions of those who suspect him that the case is really otherwise than they suspect it to be. But he who despises the judgment of praisers despises also the rashness of suspectors. Their salvation, indeed, he does not despise, if he is truly good. For so great is the righteousness of that man who receives his virtues from the Spirit of God, that he loves his very enemies, and so loves them that he desires that his haters and detractors may be turned to righteousness, and become his associates, and that not in an earthly, but in a heavenly country but with respect to his praisers though he sets little value on their praise he does not set little value on their love neither does he elude their praise lest he should forfeit their love and therefore he strives earnestly to have their praises directed to him from whom every one receives whatever in him is truly praiseworthy but he who is a despiser of glory but is greedy of domination exceeds the beasts in the vices of cruelty and luxuriousness Such indeed were certain of the Romans, who, wanting the love of esteem, wanted not the thirst for domination, and that there were many such, history testifies. But it was Nero Caesar who was the first to reach the summit and, as it were, the citadel of this vice, for so great was his luxuriousness that one would have thought there was nothing manly to be dreaded in him, and such his cruelty, that, had not the contrary been known, no one would have thought there was anything effeminate in his character nevertheless power and domination are not given even to such men save by the providence of the most high god when he judges that the state of human affairs is worthy of such lords the divine utterance is clear on this matter for the wisdom of god thus speaks by me kings reign and tyrants possess the land But that it may not be thought that by tyrants is meant not wicked and impious kings, but brave men, in accordance with the ancient use of the word, as when Virgil says, For know that treaty may not stand, where king greets king, and joins not hand. In another place it is most unambiguously said of God, that he maketh the man who is an hypocrite to reign, on account of the perversity of the people. Wherefore, though I have, according to my ability, shown for what reason God, who alone is true and just, helped forward the Romans, who were good according to a certain standard of an earthly state, to the acquirement of the glory of so great an empire, there may be nevertheless a more hidden cause, known better to God than to us, depending on the diversity of the merits of the human race. Among all who are truly pious it is at all events agreed that no one without true piety, that is, true worship of the true God, can have true virtue, and that it is not true virtue which is the slave of human praise. Though, nevertheless, they who are called not citizens of the eternal city, which is called the city of God in the sacred scriptures, are more useful to the earthly city when they possess even that virtue than if they had not even that but there could be nothing more fortunate for human affairs than that by the mercy of god they who are endowed with true piety of life if they have the skill for ruling people should also have the power but such men however great virtues they may possess in this life attribute it solely to the grace of god that he has bestowed it on them willing believing seeking and at the same time they understand how far they are short of that perfection of righteousness which exists in the society of those holy angels for which they are striving to fit themselves. But however much that virtue may be praised and cried up, which without true piety is the slave of human glory, it is not at all to be compared even to the feeble beginnings of the virtue of the saints, whose hope is placed in the grace and mercy of the true God. CHAPTER Twenty philosophers who place the end of human good in virtue itself in order to put to shame certain other philosophers who indeed approve of the virtues but measure them all with reference to the end of bodily pleasure and think that this pleasure is to be sought for its own sake but the virtues on account of pleasure are wont to paint a kind of word-picture of which pleasure sits like a luxurious queen on a royal seat and all the virtues are subjected to her as slaves watching her nod that they may do whatever she shall command she commands prudence to be ever on the watch to discover how pleasure may rule and be safe justice she orders to grant what benefit she can in order to secure those friendships which are necessary for bodily pleasure to do wrong to no one lest on account of the breaking of the laws pleasure be not able to live in security fortitude she orders to keep her mistress that is pleasure bravely in her mind if any affliction befall her body which does not occasion death in order that by remembrance of former delight she may mitigate the poignancy of present pain temperance she commands to take only a certain quantity even of the most favourite food, lest through immoderate use anything prove hurtful by disturbing the health of the body, and thus pleasure, which the Epicureans make to consist chiefly in the health of the body, be grievously offended. Thus the virtues, with the whole dignity of their glory, will be the slaves of pleasure as of some imperious and disreputable woman.' there is nothing say our philosophers more disgraceful and monstrous than this picture in which the eyes of good men can less endure and they say the truth but i do not think that the picture would be sufficiently becoming even if it were made so that the virtues should be represented as the slaves of human glory for though that glory be not a luxurious woman it is nevertheless puffed up and has much vanity in it wherefore it is unworthy of the solidity and firmness of the virtues to represent them as serving this glory so that prudence shall provide nothing justice distribute nothing temperance moderate nothing except to the end that men may be pleased and vain glory served nor will they be able to defend themselves from the charge of such baseness whilst they by way of being despisers of glory disregard the judgment of other men seem to themselves wise and please themselves for their virtue if indeed it is virtue at all is only in another way subjected to human praise for he who seeks to please himself seeks still to please man But he who, with true piety towards God, whom he loves, believes, and hopes in, fixes his attention more on those things in which he displeases himself, than on those things, if there are any such, which please himself, or rather not himself, but the truth, does not attribute that by which he can now please the truth to anything but to the mercy of him whom he has feared to displease, giving thanks for what in him is healed, and pouring out prayers for the healing of that which is yet unhealed. CHAPTER Twenty One. These things being so, we do not attribute the power of giving kingdoms and empires to any, save to the true God, who gives happiness in the kingdom of heaven to the pious alone, but gives kingly power on earth, both to the pious and the impious, as it may please him, whose good pleasure is always just for though we have said something about the principles which guide his administration in so far as it has seemed good to him to explain it nevertheless it is too much for us and far surpasses our strength to discuss the hidden things of men's hearts and by a clear examination to determine the merits of various kingdoms He, therefore, who is the one true God, who never leaves the human race without just judgment and help, gave a kingdom to the Romans when he would, and as great as he would, as he did also to the Assyrians, and even the Persians, by whom, as their own books testify, only two gods are worshipped, the one good and the other evil, to say nothing concerning the Hebrew people, of whom I have already spoken as much as seemed necessary, who, as long as they were a kingdom, worshipped none save the true God.' The same, therefore, who gave to the Persians harvests, though they did not worship the goddess Segesho, who gave the other blessings of the earth, though they did not worship the many gods which the Romans supposed to preside, each one over some particular thing, or even many of them over each several thing. He, I say, gave the Persians dominion, though they worshipped none of those gods to whom the Romans believed themselves indebted for the empire. And the same is true in respect of men as well as nations. He who gave power to Marius gave it also to Caius Caesar. He who gave it to Augustus gave it also to Nero. He also who gave it to the most benignant emperors, the Vespasians, father and son, gave it also to the cruel Domitian. And finally, to avoid the necessity of going over them all, he who gave it to the Christian Constantine gave it also to the apostate Julian, whose gifted mind was deceived by a sacrilegious and detestable curiosity stimulated by the love of power. And it was because he was addicted through curiosity to vain oracles, that, confident of victory, he burned the ships which were laden with the provisions necessary for his army, and therefore, engaging with hot zeal and rashly audacious enterprises, he was soon slain, as the just consequence of his recklessness, and left his army unprovisioned in an enemy's country, and in such a predicament that it never could have escaped, save by altering the boundaries of the Roman Empire, in violation of that omen of the god Terminus, of which I spoke in the preceding book. For the god Terminus, yielded to necessity though he had not yielded to Jupiter manifestly these things are ruled and governed by the one god according as he pleases and if his motives are hid are they therefore unjust chapter twenty two thus also the durations of wars are determined by him as he may see meet according to his righteous will and pleasure and mercy to afflict or to console the human race so that they are sometimes of longer sometimes of shorter duration The War of the Pirates and the Third Punic War were terminated with incredible celerity. Also the War of the Fugitive Gladiators, though in it many Roman generals and the consuls were defeated, and Italy was terribly wasted and ravaged, was nevertheless ended in the third year, having itself been during its continuance the end of much. The Picentes, the Marci, and the Peligni, not distant but Italian nations, after a long and most loyal servitude under the Roman yoke, attempted to raise their heads into liberty, though many nations had now been subjected to the Roman power, and Carthage had been overthrown. In this Italian war the Romans were very often defeated, and two consuls perished, besides other noble senators. Nevertheless this calamity was not protracted over a long space of time, for the fifth year put an end to it but the second punic war lasting for the space of eighteen years and occasioning the greatest disasters and calamities to the republic wore out and well nigh consumed the strength of the romans for in two battles about seventy thousand romans fell the first punic war was terminated after having been waged for three and twenty years the mithridatic war was waged for forty years and that no one may think that in the early and much belauded times of the romans they were far braver and more able to bring wars to a speedy termination the samnite war was protracted for nearly fifty years and in this war the romans were so beaten that they were even put under the yoke but because they did not love glory for the sake of justice but seemed rather to have loved justice for the sake of glory they broke the peace and the treaty which had been concluded These things I mention because many, ignorant of past things, and some also dissimulating what they know, if in Christian times they see any war protracted a little longer than they expected, straightway make a fierce and insolent attack on our religion, exclaiming that but for it the deities would have been supplicated still, according to ancient rites, and then, by that bravery of the Romans which, with the help of Mars and Bologna, speedily brought to an end such great wars, this war also would be speedily terminated.' Let them, therefore, who have read history, recollect what long-continued wars, having various issues and entailing woeful slaughter, were waged by the ancient Romans, in accordance with the general truth that the earth, like the tempestuous deep, is subject to agitations from tempests, tempests of such evils in various degrees, and let them sometimes confess what they do not like to own, and not, by madly speaking against God, destroy themselves and deceive the ignorant. CHAPTER Twenty-Three. Nevertheless, they do not mention with thanksgiving what God has very recently and within our own memory wonderfully and mercifully done, but as far as in them lies they attempt, if possible, to bury it in universal oblivion. But should we be silent about these things, we should be in like manner ungrateful.' when radagasus king of the goths having taken up his position very near to the city where the vast and savage army was already close upon the romans he was in one day so speedily and so thoroughly beaten that whilst not even one roman was wounded much less slain far more than a hundred thousand of his army were prostrated and he himself and his sons having been captured were forthwith put to death suffering the punishment they deserved for had so impious a man was so great and so impious a host entered the city whom would he have spared what tombs of the martyrs would he have respected in his treatment of what person would he have manifested the fear of god whose blood would he have refrained from shedding whose chastity would he have wished to preserve inviolate but how loud would they not have been in the praises of their gods how insultingly they would have boasted saying that Radagasus had conquered that he had been able to achieve such great things because he propitiated and won over the gods by daily sacrifices a thing which the christian religion did not allow the romans to do for when he was approaching to those places where he was overwhelmed at the nod of the supreme majesty as his fame was everywhere increasing it was being told us at carthage that the pagans were believing publishing and boasting that he on account of the help and protection of the gods friendly to him, because of the sacrifices which he was said to be daily offering to them, would certainly not be conquered by those who were not performing such sacrifices to the Roman gods, and did not even permit that they should be offered by any one. And now these wretched men do not give thanks to God for his great mercy, who, having determined to chastise the corruption of men, which was worthy of far heavier chastisement than the corruption of the barbarians, tempered his indignation with such mildness, as in the first instance to cause that the king of the Goths should be conquered in a wonderful manner, lest glory should accrue to demons, whom he was known to be supplicating, and thus the minds of the weak should be overthrown, and then, afterwards, to cause that when Rome was to be taken, it should be taken by those barbarians, who contrary to any custom of all former wars protected through reverence for the christian religion those who fled for refuge to the sacred places and who so opposed the demons themselves and the rites of impious sacrifices that they seemed to be carrying on a far more terrible war with them than with men Thus did the true Lord and Governor of things both scourge the Romans mercifully, and, by the marvellous defeat of the worshippers of demons, show that those sacrifices were not necessary even for the safety of present things, so that by those who do not obstinately hold out, but prudently consider the matter, true religion may not be deserted on account of the urgencies of the present time, but may be more clung to in most confident expectation of eternal life. CHAPTER Twenty Four for neither do we say that certain christian emperors were therefore happy because they ruled a long time or dying a peaceful death left their sons to succeed them in the empire or subdued the enemies of the republic or were able both to guard against and to suppress the attempt of hostile citizens rising against them These and other gifts or comforts of this sorrowful life even certain worshippers of demons have merited to receive, who do not belong to the kingdom of God to which these belong, and this is to be traced to the mercy of God, who would not have those who believe in him desire such things as the highest good. But we say that they are happy if they rule justly, if they are not lifted up amid the praises of those who pay them sublime honours, and the obsequiousness of those who salute them with an excessive humility, but remember that they are men— if they make their power the handmaid of his majesty by using it for the greatest possible extension of his worship if they fear love worship god if more than their own they love that kingdom in which they are not afraid to have partners if they are slow to punish ready to pardon if they apply that punishment as necessary to government and defence of the republic and not in order to gratify their own enmity if they grant pardon not that iniquity may go unpunished but with the hope that the transgressor may amend his ways if they compensate with a lenity of mercy and a liberality of benevolence for whatever severity they may be compelled to decree if their luxury is as much restrained as it might have been unrestrained if they prefer to govern depraved desires rather than any nation whatever and if they do all these things, not through ardent desire of empty glory, but through love of eternal felicity, not neglecting to offer to the true God, who is their God, for their sins, the sacrifices of humility, contrition, and prayer. Such Christian emperors, we say, are happy in the present time by hope, and are destined to be so in the enjoyment of the reality itself, when that which we wait for shall have arrived. CHAPTER Twenty Five. For the good God, lest men who believe that he is to be worshipped with a view to eternal life, should think that no one could attain to all this high estate, and to this terrestrial dominion, unless he should be a worshipper of the demons, supposing that these spirits have great power with respect to such things, for this reason he gave to the emperor Constantine, who was not a worshipper of demons, but of the true God himself, such fullness of earthly gifts as no one would even dare wish for. To him also he granted the honour of founding a city, a companion to the Roman Empire, the daughter, as it were, of Rome itself, but without any temple or image of the demons. He reigned for a long period as sole emperor, and unaided held and defended the whole Roman world. In conducting and carrying on wars he was most victorious; in overthrowing tyrants he was most successful. He died at a great age of sickness and old age, and left his sons to succeed him in the empire but again lest any emperor should become a christian in order to merit the happiness of a constantine when every one should be a christian for the sake of eternal life god took away jovian far sooner than julian and permitted that gratian should be slain by the sword of a tyrant but in his case there was far more mitigation of the calamity than in the case of the great pompey for he could not be avenged by cato whom he had left as it were heir to the civil war But Gratian, though pious minds require not such consolations, was avenged by Theodosius, whom he had associated with himself in the empire, though he had a little brother of his own, being more desirous of a faithful alliance than of extensive power. CHAPTER Twenty Six. And on this account Theodosius not only preserved during the lifetime of Gratian that fidelity which was due to him, but also, after his death, he, like a true Christian, took his little brother Valentinian under his protection as joint emperor, after he had been expelled by Maximus, the murderer of his father. He guarded him with paternal affection, though he might without any difficulty have got rid of him, being entirely destitute of all resources, had he been animated with the desire of extensive empire, and not with the ambition of being a benefactor. It was therefore a far greater pleasure to him, when he had adopted the boy, and preserved to him his imperial dignity, to console him by his very humanity and kindness. Afterwards, when that success was rendering Maximus terrible, Theodosius, in the midst of his perplexing anxieties, was not drawn away to follow the suggestions of a sacrilegious and unlawful curiosity, but sent to John, whose abode was in the desert of Egypt, for he had learned that this servant of God, whose fame was spreading abroad, was endowed with the gift of prophecy, and from him he received assurance of victory immediately the slayer of the tyrant maximus with the deepest feelings of compassion and respect restored the boy valentinianus to his share in the empire from which he had been driven valentinianus being soon after slain by secret assassination or by some other plot or accident theodosius having again received a response from the prophet and placing entire confidence in it marched against the tyrant eugenius who had been unlawfully elected to succeed that emperor and defeated his very powerful army more by prayer than by the sword some soldiers who were at the battle reported to me that all the missiles they were throwing were snatched from their hands by a vehement wind which blew from the direction of theodosius's army upon the enemy nor did it only drive with greater velocity the darts which were hurled against them but also turned back upon their own bodies the darts which they themselves were throwing and therefore the poet claudian although an alien from the name of christ nevertheless says in his praises of him o prince too much beloved by god for thee Aeolus pours armed tempests from their caves for thee the air fights and the winds with one accord obey thy bugles but the victor as he had believed and predicted overthrew the statues of jupiter which had been as it were consecrated by i know not what kind of rites against him and set up in the alps And the thunderbolts of these statues, which were made of gold, he mirthfully and graciously presented to his couriers, who, as the joy of the occasion permitted, were jocularly saying that they would be most happy to be struck by such thunderbolts. The sons of his own enemies, whose fathers had been slain not so much by his orders as by the vehemence of war, having fled for refuge to a church, though they were not yet Christians, he was anxious, taking advantage of the occasion, to bring over to Christianity, and treated them with Christian love nor did he deprive them of their property, but besides allowing them to retain it, bestowed on them additional honours. He did not permit private animosities to affect the treatment of any man after the war. He was not like Cinna, and Marius, and Scylla, and other such men, who wished not to finish civil wars, even when they were finished, but rather grieved that they had arisen at all, than wished that when they were finished they should harm any one. Amid all these events, from the very commencement of his reign, he did not cease to help the troubled church against the impious, by most just and merciful laws, which the heretical Valens, favouring the Arians, had vehemently afflicted. Indeed, he rejoiced more to be a member of this church than he did to be a king upon the earth. The idols of the Gentiles he everywhere ordered to be overthrown, understanding well that not even terrestrial gifts are placed in the power of demons, but in that of the true God." And what could be more admirable than his religious humility, when, compelled by the urgency of certain of his intimates, he avenged with the grievous crime of the Thessalonians, which, at the prayer of the bishops, he had promised to pardon, and, being laid hold of by the discipline of the church, did penance in such a way that the sight of his imperial loftiness prostrated, made the people who were interceding for him weep, more than the consciousness of offence had made them fear what it when enraged.' These and other similar good works, which it would be long to tell, he carried with him from this world of time, where the greatest human nobility and loftiness are but vapour. Of these works the reward is eternal happiness, of which God is the giver, though only to those who are sincerely pious. But all other blessings and privileges of this life, as the world itself, light, air, earth, water, fruits, and the soul of man himself, his body, senses, mind, life, he lavishes on good and bad alike.' And among these blessings is also to be reckoned the possession of an empire, whose extent he regulates according to the requirements of his providential government at various times. Whence, I see, we must now answer those who, being confuted and convicted by the most manifest proofs by which it is shown that for obtaining these terrestrial things, which are all the foolish desire to have, that multitude of false gods is of no use, attempt to assert that the gods are to be worshipped with a view to the interest, not of the present life, but of that which is to come after death.' for as to those who for the sake of the friendship of this world are willing to worship vanities and do not grieve that they are left to their puerile understandings i think they have been sufficiently answered in these five books of which books when i had published the first three and they had begun to come into the hands of many i heard that certain persons were preparing against them an answer of some kind or other in writing then it was told me that they had already written their answer but were waiting a time when they could publish it without danger such persons i would advise not to desire what cannot be of any advantage to them for it is very easy for a man to seem to himself to have answered arguments when he has only been unwilling to be silent for what is more loquacious than vanity and though it be able if it like to shout more loudly than the truth it is not for all that more powerful than the truth But let men consider diligently all the things that we have said, and if perchance, judging without party spirit, they shall clearly perceive that they are such things as may rather be shaken than torn up by their most impudent garrulity, and, as it were, satirical and mimic levity, let them restrain their absurdities, and let them choose rather to be corrected by the wise than to be lauded by the foolish.' for if they are waiting an opportunity not for liberty to speak the truth but for license to revile may not that befall them which tully says concerning some one o wretched man who was at liberty to sin Wherefore, whoever he be who deems himself happy because of license to revile, he would be far happier if that were not allowed him at all. For he might all the while, laying aside empty boast, be contradicting those to whose views he is opposed by way of free consultation with them, and be listening, as it becomes him, honourably, gravely, candidly, to all that can be adduced by those whom he consults by friendly disposition. End of Book 5, Chapters 13 through 26 Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org.